And the closer I get to the point where all that stuff could cover what we're living on, that's financial peace. I could lose my job and then just be like, yeah, you know what? Maybe I'll just go do YouTube full time. <laughs> hey, everybody. My name's AJ, and this is The Wealthy Idiot Show. Before we go any further, please make sure to destroy that like button for the YouTube algorithm. Anything you do helps us out tremendously, and we can spread this message of financial freedom and financial peace to as many people as possible with your help. So we appreciate it greatly. So just when I think that Dave and I are starting to vibe, we're connecting, it's been a minute since I've really done a video knocking Dave Ramsey around for his opinions and the, the stuff that he says, and then he goes out and he makes this video. So we gotta watch it, I gotta talk about it. This video is called, Why Paying Off Your House Later Is a Huge Risk. Huge in capital letters, why it's a huge risk. And I think we can nitpick this apart a little bit, especially because this caller is basically me. Let's get into it. Jackson is in Tampa, Florida. Hi, Jackson. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you? Better than I deserve. What's up? Hey, got a question regarding the mortgage. I know you guys talk about, um, I have no debt, and uh, I know you talk about putting 15% towards investments and then um, the rest going towards your mortgage. Um, my, wife and our, my wife and I are incredibly risk tolerant, um, lost about $50,000 in our mutual funds over the past month, um, and still just sold my car, invested that money straight into the stock market because they're on sale. Um, so I know, well, I think that the math says investments, you're obviously a very successful man, so I'm not going to argue with you, but I'd like to genuinely know why, why do you go with that approach versus the investments if, if you're risk tolerant? Jackson, see, this is what I'm talking about. He says everything's on sale right now. He sold his car so that he can invest in the stock market. I'm not going to do that. This guy may be more intense than me. He's investing 15%. He has no other debt. And he's looking at the mortgage and he's thinking like, look, I could probably make more money in the long run if because if the S&P 500 is returning 10% on average and my interest rate on my house is lower than 10%, I mean, mathematically, that makes sense. And I get that you can't always use the past to determine what the future is going to look like. But I mean... You, you have to assume that if you have a low interest rate, like 2%, the market should produce better than that over the long run. So yeah, man, Jackson, I, I don't know. feel like, uh, so I like his question. So his question is basically like, look, I'm going to do what I want. I just want to understand why it is that you don't think this is a good idea. Uh, that sounds like what I would ask. Let's see what he says. Well, risk tolerance has to do with what your emotions will allow you to do without going into freak-out mode. No, that's already wrong. We'll, we'll get to it when he finishes this point, but I just want to say that's already wrong. And so uh, someone who has a very low risk tolerance can become a poor investor based on the fact that their low risk tolerance causes them to not take enough risk. Agreed? Mm -hmm. that part yep. is right. Someone who has too high a risk tolerance can cause them to be a poor investor because they take risky investments that end up losing more than they make because they live well, out on the I edge. Say, yeah, I'm, I'm like, I'm 99% neutral funds. I'm 1% in football helmets. So like, <laughs> I'm, I'm in, I mean, I, I, for the score, stock market and for the score, stock market. I like it. Oh, this is so great. A new measure of things. This is awesome. Born on the air today. I love it. That's 
man, I like this Jackson guy. He's super cool. So obviously, and the reason I say Dave's wrong is that he's not necessarily wrong in the sense that what he's talking about is true. You can be so scared that you end up making moves that cause you to lose out, right? So like you could not invest at all. You could take all your money out when the market's down because you're so scared that that doesn't necessarily mean risk tolerance. That's not what Jackson's referring to here. What he's saying is like, look, I don't have to live on any of this money anytime soon. I don't need to pull it out. Um, I have a steady job, maybe a great emergency fund. So I can put my money in things that are more volatile as long as the average over the long run is good. That's what he's saying. So he's pointing out, like, I'm not going to be in the position to have to take my money out if there's a recession coming up. I can leave it in so I I can put my money in things that have higher volatility. That's what Jackson's saying. And he's absolutely right. And I think Dave kind of skipped over that by kind of giving his emotional response answer. Just kind of to try and maybe skip this question a little bit. I don't think he really wants to answer it. Yeah, but my, my point is, okay, so I grew up in the real estate business, and one of the things you do in the real estate business is they take your risk meter and they break it with a hammer. Real estate people have complete risk tolerance. We're idiots. Uh-huh. We're idiots. We don't even know there's risk. Okay, I think that that's true sometimes. I'm in Facebook groups where people are like, if you're not YOLOing all your money into real estate and taking out as much debt as you can every chance you get and put it into real estate, then you're doing it wrong. Yeah, those people have very high risk tolerance to the point of stupidity. I've shown on this channel that you can get leverage and take out debt and invest it safely and conservatively. So that must mean to some degree that people who get into real estate can consider the risk. So I I don't think that that's universally true. Okay. And that's what caused me to go broke because I was not measuring risk. So here's the, here's what ends up happening. Oh man. Just like one after the other. No, what caused him to go broke was that he had all, like he had no um, equity in the homes himself. And he produced a plan that if the market dropped at all, he'd be in trouble. And his whole thought process was real estate never goes down. People say that quite often. Real estate never goes down. Real estate never goes down. And he worked a a plan that was dependent on the fact that, or on the hope, I should say, that real estate would never go down. I'm not developing that plan. And I'm not encouraging you to do that either. So, you know, that's not why he went broke. He didn't go broke because he just didn't have, or he had unlimited risk tolerance. He went broke and he went bankrupt because he had no contingency plan if the market started to go down he didn't consider it at all debt equals risk more debt equals more risk less debt equals less risk Uh, it adds risk to the portfolio you're saying i can emotionally tolerate that that's one discussion another discussion though is what is the fastest route to wealth he didn't say he could emotionally tolerate that he said he could financially tolerate that that's different And more or less debt in your portfolio does not necessarily make your portfolio more or less risky. It turns out if you have the ability to cover that debt, it's not more risky. You could take that debt, you could leverage, and if you ever run into a problem, you could cover it. We teach that here. So it's not more or less risky that I have debt. I own several Airbnbs. I have debt on all those Airbnbs. And if something were to happen, not only do I have tons of equity because I over- Um, I paid over the down payment in order to make sure I had tons of equity, but for every dollar I have in debt, I have put into, um, index funds or I have cash for, so I've very well covered my risk here. 
It, what's the fastest route to wealth? And, and, it, and it's ROI, return on investment, annual ROI, compounded yearly. That's the fastest route to wealth. And that then, okay, we've got to discuss, can I stomach that with my risk tolerance? Do I have enough risk tolerance to go that route? The fastest, surest route to wealth, not just, mm-hmm. uh, and, and most likely. So I would go back to something like the 10,167 millionaires we studied. And yeah. the number of them that said, because I had a high risk tolerance, I kept a mortgage the whole time and I invested all the money. And uh, today I have a million dollars in mutual funds. Or I have $2 million in mutual funds and I owe $600,000 on my house. The number of them that said that was less than 10%. Okay. 90 plus percent. I would put my money that that 10% is wealthier than the other 90%. I don't have anything to prove that, but I'd put my money on that. I'm interested to see if Dave ever responds and you can let us know. Said, I got my house paid off and I dumped everything in mutual funds in my 401ks. Okay, so the practical facts are the, the normative way, the most likely way, the highest probability way, according to the data, to build wealth is to invest into mutual funds and to get the house paid off. So again, and I always I always pick this apart. I want to know how many of those people would still be millionaires if you didn't count their house equity. Because if you follow Dave's plan, your home equity is nothing. It means nothing. You can claim that, oh, I paid off my home so I can invest more. Okay, that's fine. Then show me the investments that aren't a part of your home equity that have built to the point where you could survive without needing Uh, any kind of income from your property. Because the problem with Dave's plan is that if you pay off your property, you still have to live there. You can't take out more debt and you can't take out debt on another property, right? So that house is a house and yeah, you don't have to pay on it monthly. That, That does nothing for you in terms of income when it comes to retirement. So I'm interested to know, and I keep saying this, how many of those people would still be millionaires if you took their home equity away? So if we took all the accredited investors, which means that you have to have a net worth of a million dollars or more that's not in home equity or your income back to back is over $200,000. Then out of those people, how many of those people got to be where they are today because they didn't, they stayed out of debt. They didn't use credit cards. They followed all of Dave's plans. I would say it's not too many because as it turns out, the fastest and surest way to wealth is a good ROI compounded annually. And we can produce a great ROI by borrowing and putting it into real estate. Now, there are risks involved in that because if the real estate goes down, if rents go down, we get into a place where we have to try and cover that. That's a risk. So we got to cover that risk. We got to assume that that's a possibility and cover that risk with other investments and backup cash. That's the fastest way to wealth. Because otherwise you would say, you would say, all right, I'm going to borrow as much as I can borrow on the house all the time. And every so often I'm going to refinance it and throw all of that money with the cash out into the, and stay mortgaged up to my eyeballs. Yes. Yes. That's what you do. Now, not completely. As it turns out, getting a cash out refinance costs money. You actually have to pay money to get a cash out refinance. And it depends on how much you're, how much you're uh, cashing out, how much the refinance is for. That's all going to be part of the closing costs of your refinance. So if, you know, let's say interest rates drop to 3% in one year, 
and we get there and we have $10,000 in equity and it costs us $7,000 to refinance, it's not worth it, right? It's, so it, we wouldn't always just refinance. It doesn't make sense to always do so. But as long as we could back the debt we're about to take out with other investments and emergency funds, then yes, if we have enough equity and it makes mathematical sense, including those closing costs to pull that money out and put it into something like um, the S&P 500, I will be doing that. I will be doing that until I die. If the concept worked, you would do that. But the problem well, with yes. that is, is that it affects other things in the unseen. And that is, is that the borrower is slave to the lender. You make different decisions in your life when you don't have a house payment about your career. Yeah. It puts different stresses on your relationships. Those are all true for things when you're when you don't have financial freedom, when you don't have financial peace. If you have a lot of debt, you're struggling to pay that debt, you're trying to figure out your life. Yes, those things affect your career, your family, etc. But if you have financial peace, meaning that your income covers your expenses more than covers your expenses, and you could get income from places other than your job, which Dave isn't advocating here. He's saying work until you're 65, put 15% away in retirement, and you do that, you're putting yourself in a position where you do not have financial freedom and financial peace. Now, I'm not saying that he's advocating for that. It's just that his plan ends up putting people in that position. What I'm advocating for is be as lean as you possibly can, invest as hard as you possibly can, get as much real estate as you can, as long as it's backed and you're conservative about it, and get to a place where no matter what happens to you, no matter what happens to the economy, no matter what happens to your job, you will be okay and you'll be able to pay your bills, including those mortgages. That's financial peace. And that's going to be the position where you have no strain on anything. It gives you that real freedom and you can get there younger through taking debt out. You could do it older, you could get there later, but I'd be more of a fan of getting there sooner. Sounds like Jackson's kind of on the same plan here. It tr you treat you know your children different. There's different levels of health issues when there's no debt versus if there's debt. Regardless of risk tolerance, all of those things end up applying out there in the real world. Yeah. I keep, I keep going back to the car. You said you're, you sold your car to invest. invest. Oh. Do you need a well, car? So, no. No, I don't. That actually, okay. that was just, uh, I sold, I, I was able to sell my car. It was a Honda, a 2008 Honda fit. I sold it for $300 more than I bought it for, uh, five years ago. And so I bought an electric bike and I take that to work. I'm only three miles from work. Um, the problem is I do live in, you know, Florida, so I'm going to start sweating here soon. Um, <laughs> but no, the, that just, I just, my wife and I felt like we've got our 2015 minivan and like we can be a one car family okay um okay yeah so that that was more well i guess I, I'm, I'm just i'm having a little bit of trouble wrapping my mind around the math of it but maybe i need to let that i don't think it go. here's the okay the math here's how the math works all right in graduate level studies in finance or maybe even in a good school in the senior year level um mm -hmm. we are taught to christina and i were taught to um, analyze two different mutual funds, okay? An aggressive growth stock mutual fund has a measure of risk called a beta. The higher yeah. the beta, the higher the risk. The higher the peaks and valleys if you chart it, the more volatile sure. it is, okay? High beta, more risk, okay? Low beta, less risk. And so you take an aggressive growth with a, be a high beta, and uh, a, maybe a maybe a 2.5 beta or something like that, and then you take a 
growth in income that might have a 0.8 beta, less than one beta. A one beta is the S&P 500, what the market does, just to give you an example. Okay. So here's how the okay. math yep. works. If you're, if you, In order to compare those two, they have different volatility, so comparing them apples to apples is naive. You see what I'm saying? Sure. So you've, the way you mathematically adjust for it is there's an inverse formula where the beta is flipped on its head in an inverse fraction so that the beta reduces, the higher beta reduces the return of the, of the risky investment, and the lower beta raises the return of the lower investment so that after adjusted for risk mathematically, you can compare these apples to apples. Does that make any sense? It does. I okay. knew you were smarter than I was. And so, yeah, that that well, I'm, it's just it's just what. I'm... All right. So in English, because that's a lot of fancy words to try and convince us that uh, we shouldn't be paying attention to the fact that the math works for what Jackson's saying here. The English there is that if you have something that is really low risk, so low beta, it's going to have a really low return. You have something with really high risk, high beta, it's going to have a really high return. And it's hard to compare those two together because how do you determine risk to return, right? Those are the two things that you want to try and figure out. So what he's saying is there's a mathematical equation where you can figure out risk to return that makes sense. So it produces an answer where you can compare the two and you can determine like, okay, the risk on this one is worth the return that you're getting. And the risk on this one is you know, the return on, on this one is so low that the risk doesn't even matter, right? Like it, it's not even worth putting our money into at that point. It turns out that you can do the same thing with real estate. So if you look at real estate and you look at your cash flow and you look at a property and you think, okay, I'm going to cash flow $500 a month from this property. Then you can go look at rental fluctuations and you could see, does it dip below 500 or more importantly, look at the percentages of how much it's dipped. So you could see the delta whenever the time moves. So delta is the difference. Whenever the, the time moves or the rent, whenever the rent moves up and down, what's the biggest difference that you can find? And if the delta in that area is something like 15%, right? And, and if you take 15% off your rent, are you still cash flowing? The answer is yes. Then it's low risk. You're pretty low risk. And then I like to go even further than that. Let's make sure that the delta is not only lower than what I'm expecting, you know, what, what I have covered in cash flow, but let's also make sure that it's twice what I have covered in cash flow. And then I don't have to worry about it. The market can move around and it really wouldn't matter for me. And that's where we're at now. So the market moves around. People didn't go to Airbnbs, you know, at the beginning of COVID, we still produced enough to cover our rents because we looked at the risks. We looked at those numbers. Those numbers are all there just because, you know, He's saying that they don't like they don't actually look at them like real estate people don't look at that. That doesn't mean that you can't when you're doing this process. It's taught academically. It's not. I'm not a genius. Yeah, no, no, just, no, that's, that's but good. So, so the thing is, what what has never happened though? We're taught that in the financial world, Christina, but we're not taught to do that with debt. And so we compare a house with a mortgage equally to a house without a mortgage, or an investment property with a mortgage equally. To an investment property without a mortgage and we do not apply the increased risk a beta to the math formula and so our that's what i mean by real estate people their risk meter is broken they don't analyze for risk 
and we don't and we don't mathematically adjust for risk. And so when we add the beta idea or concept to your question, it says you are taking more risk, so we should put a higher beta on your plan, a lower beta on my plan, and when we risk adjust mathematically, our plans are going to be fairly equal. That's helpful. I really appreciate it. Cool. I don't know if that made any sense or not. Something like a barrel of fish hooks, but it is it is the truth. So that's the end of the video. So when you're debt-free, you build wealth faster, except I broke down the numbers on how even with interest rates the way that they are now, how I could produce a yearly ROI of over 20% by putting my money into real estate versus anywhere else. So no, you don't build wealth faster by not getting into debt. Mathematically, that doesn't make sense. And Jackson's calling it out. Jackson's like, look, I have plenty of space, meaning that like if something were bad were to happen to the economy, I'd be fine. You know, even if I was in debt, I'd be fine. I have plenty of stuff that I could cover my debt with for extremely long periods of time. That makes you risk tolerant, not the emotional part, just the fact that you could cover it. And same here. If I ran into any issues, I have plenty of assets to cover that risk and I have plenty of cash to cover that risk. So if the question is, look, like a whole bunch of people do real estate without considering risk, therefore you shouldn't do real estate either because you won't consider the risk. Okay, but what if I do real estate and I do consider the risk? What if I cover the risk with other investments and having backup cash? What? So is the answer then like you still shouldn't do it because Dave thinks that there's risk involved? I don't know. So I think that this is a video that kind of shows that Dave really didn't want to answer this question. He was kind of skirting around it the whole time, trying to make points out of other things. And then when he gets into that bit where he's like, uh, you know, it, it causes a lot of emotional stress. I, I, I totally disagree. I sleep great at night. I don't think about it at all. Um, and I think that's due to the fact that I know um, my cash flow, my other investments, everything is covering all of this risk. And that cash flow and these investments are covering other parts of my lifestyle. And the closer I get to the point where all that stuff could cover what we're living on, that's financial peace. I could lose my job and then just be like, ah, you know what? Maybe I'll just go do YouTube full time. <laughs> so if you like the episode, please make sure to like and subscribe. Uh, hit up wealthidiots.com. We got tips, calculators, articles. We're trying to cover all the topics that we possibly can. And I wanna thank you guys for sticking around. I do love myself some Dave Ramsey. I watch him all the time, which is why we, we got him on our YouTube channel on a regular basis. On this real estate thing, we tend to disagree, but we do agree on a lot. So check out some of the other videos we have where we do agree with each other. And I'll see you guys next time.